From Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, this is Crosswalk. Thanks for joining us. Pastor Clay is away this week, so bringing this week's message from our worship center at the Leesville Road High School in Raleigh is Steve Pierce. I'd like to start by speaking about um, failure. It's something which I am very familiar, and I think you are too. One of the more interesting stories about failure comes from the early 70s, And uh, it happened in the United Kingdom, in England, when all the firemen went on strike. Well, the British Army stepped in to take over the emergency firefighting, the Corps of Engineers. And on January the 14th, in the freezing cold, they were called in by an elderly lady in South London to rescue her cat high up in a tree on the property. Well, they arrived with impressive haste, bought more equipment than they would ever need and guns and whatever else, but very cleverly and carefully rescued the cat. The lady was so grateful that she invited the squad of heroes in for tea and scones. That's the very British thing to do. Well, driving off an hour or so later, with fond farewells and lots of arm waving, they ran over the cat and killed it. See, that's my British sense of humor. You know, I get that. (laughs) Okay. The thought of failure is a very, very strong motivation for many. But we fail. Do you remember the first time you tried to walk? No, but your parents do. You failed. The first time you tried to swim, you almost drowned. The first time Linda tried to kiss me, it didn't turn out well. We fail in lots of things every day in every facet of our existence. I'm looking here at moms and dads who have failed. Husbands who regret the failures they've made. And wives who will say, me too. Children who can already chalk up a significant list of failures. You try out for a team and you don't make it. You know, you you do something and you get the participant award. Okay, you know what that means, don't you? But you know, as a pastor, I've met people at the door whose faces vocalize failure. They're ashamed. They can hardly look me in the eye. Their shoulders are slumped. And they look at the carpet as they walk out and leave the church. And it comes to my mind that they're living under the burden of failure. They're convinced that they'll never rise above it again. And you know, I've met pastors, and I guess I have been there too, who've been beaten and who go through the motions every weekend. They know they're just greasing the gears to get a paycheck, to keep the machine moving. And when they preach about victory and grace, it's always in the abstract. Today I want to remind you that our failures are not final. I want to start by looking, and I was thinking how I was going to do this today. I wanted to preach on something very different and a passage that not many people turn to in the Bible. How many of you have your quiet times in the genealogy lists in Matthew? Well, I did once. I think it was 30 years ago, and I came up with this message. Now, have a look at Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. This is one of those parts that you skip over, but I'd like to look at. It says this, A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. 
hang on, immediately you get the idea here, these were all Jewish people, and that's exactly the purpose of Matthew's gospel. Matthew was trying to show the world that Jesus came from the Jewish race. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac was the father of Jacob, Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Now, I don't know about you, but wouldn't it be nice to be able to trace our family tree back? Now, my sister, she spent, she's got much more time than me. She spent a lot of money and a lot of time tracing our family tree back to William the Conqueror in 1066. And two pierces were hung for sheep stealing. And so we decided not to go further back. But, you know, there's this big thing now about how far back does your family tree go? Now, unless your name is Little Big Mouth or Great Eagle in the Sky, you're all not from around here. You're all from overseas somewhere or from some other country. So it's very difficult to do. But here we have Matthew writing down the family tree of Jesus. And it goes through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, Perez, Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. The name Judah is a name that interests me. I'll tell you why. Because I have got one eye on what is happening right now in Israel. Is this the beginning of the end? Is this the beginning of that final cataclysmic onslaught where the Middle East will be the focus of world attention? And that great plain of Megiddo, I've stood there and I've seen it and I pictured in my mind's eye the battles, uh, the armies of God and the armies of the evil one lined up to fight. Could it be? Because in Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 to 5, it says this. I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth. I mean, they even went to hell. No one could open the scroll or even look inside it. And I wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll and look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Don't weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah. Now there's the connection between Matthew chapter 1 and Revelation chapter 5. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scrolls and its seven seals. So let's get this settled right at the beginning. Who is the lion of the tribe of Judah? And it's my purpose here today to exalt and magnify that name above everything else. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And so here's the scenario. All of time waits with anticipation. This is the opening act of the greatest performance. Who will press the button? Who will open the curtains? Who will flick the switch? Who is good enough, clean enough, worthy enough? Not me, Lord. Not me. I couldn't do it. They searched earth and we're told they scoured hell. No one was worthy. No one could open it. No one could even take a peek inside. Until one from 
The tribe of Judah met the standard to open the mysteries of God. His name was Jesus. Now, I kind of figured in my mind, this Judah, he must have been quite a godly man. I mean, if Jesus is going to, one of his names is going to be the lion of the tribe of Judah. This is some serious dude we're talking about, super duper spiritual. This is, a, this is one of those guys. Of all Jacob's 12 sons, only Jesus is mentioned in the family tree. The other 11 are passed over. It's Judah's offspring that are hailed as worthy and all the others fail the test. What about Joseph? Hey, come on. The coat of many colors. God loved him. I mean, he was a favorite of Jacob and Rachel. Why can't Jesus come as the lion of the tribe of Joseph? And if you have read Genesis chapter 38, you'll understand my argument. It's a sordid tale. It's ugly. Good people, nice people don't read and say this kind of stuff aloud. Because it's the chapter on Judah's malfunctioned existence. Judah drifts away from the rest of his tribe. In spite of the warnings from his father and the bad example he had from his uncle Esau, Judah marries a Canaanite and has a family. And so the children born to Judah are raised with mixed messages. So Judah's got sons. Three of them. The first one is put to death by God because he was so wicked. Now back in the day, that left his wife, Tamar, a widow. And Jewish custom would have it, the second son was asked to marry Tamar. Now she must have been really ugly because he said no. And God struck him dead. Now hang on, I'm running out of sons here if I'm Judah. I've only got one left. The third son, Shelah. Now, Jude didn't go to Shelah and say, hey, you need to marry her because, you know, all your other brothers have been eating her mushrooms and look what's happened to them. So Tamar kept waiting. When's this going to happen? And girls, you know about that biological clock. She's getting past her prime. She's lonely. She heard one day that her father-in-law, Judah, was going on a trip. So she put on a veil to cover her face and posed along the road as a prostitute. Now, this is where the story of, or at least the verse that says, be sure your sins will catch you out. Here's this guy's daughter-in-law posing as a prostitute. Judah sees her, paid for her services, but here's where he was hooked. Literally. He had no ready cash. There's no ATM. And so what he did was he gave her his family seal and his personal staff to redeem later as pay payment. And of course, be sure your sins will find you out. Tamar falls pregnant with twins. Judah went home none the wiser. So the news comes out. Your daughter-in-law, Tamar, is pregnant and she's not married. Judah threw a righteous fit. What was the punishment for people who became pregnant out of wedlock in the Old Testament? Stoning. Exactly right. Bring her out. And stone her to death. And so she's brought out. This Tamar is brought out into public to be killed. And Judah asks the wrong question. Who made you pregnant? She brings out the family seal and the staff. He is humiliated. Hang on. 
Keep in the back of your minds here, this is Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Judah is humiliated before his whole family, and he says these words, she is more righteous than I. You know, you want to shield yourself from that sort of ugliness. It sounds like something from one of those sordid magazines. If you have someone in your family that's that kind of person when you have Christmas lunch, you know, Uncle Bob sits in the kitchen and has his lunch. Why isn't Uncle Bob sitting with us? No, he, he never does. You know, that's where he sits. Hmm. You don't see his picture in the family album. His name's never mentioned, and we hope the kids never ask. And he's not on the Christmas card list. Why did God put such a story in the Bible? Firstly, if not to warn us how easily we can wreck our lives. Why didn't the royal line go through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, or at least Benjamin? Come on, Benjamin! Why is it that we get so pompous when we condemn other people's mistakes, when in fact the Bible says there, are, there is not one righteous? No, not one. It says we all like sheep have gone astray. You gone astray lately? I have. I just thank God that I'm in church today. I thank God I'm with the people of God today. It's easy to stray. We're just like Judah when he learned that Tamar was pregnant. Shame on you. Shame on you. And on top of it, we're judgmental. But if all our failures were put on a video projector in front of the church, we wouldn't have much room to talk. We enjoy giving people the law when what they need is grace. Because we've all failed. Every single one of us. Let me read you something from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9-11. to Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters or adulterers, male prostitutes, homosexual offenders, thieves, greedy, drunkards, slanderers, swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. And then is the best word in the Bible. But. <laughs> Man, that's my best word. But. In fact, I think I have a message called the best but in the Bible. But I have to be careful where I preach that. But. You were like this. But. Listen to what it says. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And by the Spirit of our God. This is what you were. But. This is what you were. But. You were saved. You were cleansed. You were sanctified. You are not the same as you were. And I have this, this thing on, on holiness. You know, we, have holy, we are holy people in the sight of God. Anybody do anything besides me that was unholy this week? Don't be scared to put up your hand here. Okay, yeah. So how does it figure out? Well, you see, this is how it figures out. You are holy and then God says, now go and become what you already are. You are holy. Get it right. Your failures are not final. Get it right. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus. Oh, how we like to point our fingers at people who have failed. I've been washed. I've been sanctified. I'm not the man that I want to be. But I tell you what, I'm not the person I was. And so I wrote a poem. Now, this is the scary part, because this is a little window 
into my heart and to my life. I've been a pastor for nearly 40 years. I call the poem, I hope I can get through this, I call it Failed. Failure is a cross I bear. The critics look, her scathing stare. Was it so bad, the task I tried? Oh, it'll all be fine, my conscience lied. But all that was done for God was meant. His glory and honor was my real intent. With a task so great, my faith it sailed until the day I knew I failed. What? Another chance? Another try? Another task? I ask him why. And so softly spoken, but plainly heard, his fond reply, a single word. His loving smile, his warm embrace, his lips, they form the one word, grace, 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 grace. Hey, it's getting better. We, we got Jesus, now we got grace. The devil's speciality is to hiss. You'll never amount to anything. You'll never beat that habit. You'll never be anybody. You'll never do it. Hiding the fact that God's mercy and grace is for people like you and me who've messed up. What's even more amazing is the whole story of the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. Listen to this. In the genealogy of Jesus, after Judah's name, it's not Shelah, the one remaining son, but it's Perez, Judah and Tamar's illegitimate son. And Jesus takes the mess-ups and he points them in a path to the cross and he puts them in his book and he says, this is worth talking about because the failures are not final and if you will give me your life and if you will commit your way unto me, I'll point you to the cross and then to this new home that he's building in eternity for us. I not only forgive mess-ups, but I can take them, touch them, and put them in a line that leads to Jesus. You know, we love God because He is good. Not me. He can take the tangles and mess and turn it into something holy. The lion of the tribe of Judah is about second chances. The lion of the tribe of Judah is about God saying, Listen, I don't care about your past. I care about your future. The only one who cares about our past is the devil. And when he reminds me about my past, I remind him about his future. Come on, his future. His future. Chains in a lake of fire. Because he's a dog on a leash. Greater than the glory as the creator of the universe is the glory of his grace. Don't you want that? Don't you want that grace? God wants to look at you through the, through the eyes of his son. God's grace, the God of grace, is the most amazing and only Savior you will ever meet. And so let me tell you a little about Him before we close. Because I want to really try and magnify the name of Jesus. Because so many people, I believe, struggle with the issue of failure. They struggle with the issue of failure. Listen, your job, your job does not define who you are. Your family doesn't define who you are. 
The one who defines who you are is Jesus Christ. He defines. And it's your, your job, your life, it's His to give and it's His to take away. Let me tell you about Jesus. He's the sevenfold King. He's the King of the Jewish race. He's the King of Israel, their national King. He's the King of the righteous, the King of ages, the King of heaven, the King of glory. And He's the King of kings. David said, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows His handiwork. Our God is a sovereign King. No means of measurement can measure His love. It's limitless. No telescope can see far enough to make Him visible. No barrier can hinder Him pouring out His blessing on whomever He wants. He is enduringly strong, entirely sincere, and eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's infinitely powerful, and He's impartially merciful. He's the greatest phenomenon to appear on our horizon. He's God's Son. He's the sinner's Savior. He's the Master and Commander. He stands in the solitude of Himself. He's honest, unique unparalleled and unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He is the highest personality in philosophy. He is the supreme problem in higher criticism. He is the fundamental doctrine in true theology. He is the essence of spiritual religion. He is the miracle of the ages. He is the superlative of everything that is good. He gives strength to the weak. He gives support to the weary. He sympathizes with the wanderer and he saves the lost. He guards and guides, heals the sick, cleanses the leper, forgives the sinner, discharges the debtor, delivers the captive, defends the feeble, blesses the young, serves the unfortunate. He regards the aged, he rewards the diligent, and he blesses the meek. It's Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It's Him or nothing. It's Him or nothing. This is my King. He's the key to knowledge, the wellspring of wisdom, the doorway of deliverance, the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness, the highway of holiness. He's the gateway to glory. His promise is sure. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. He's indestructible. He's indescribable. He's invincible and He's irresistible. You can't get Him off your hand and you can't get Him out of your mind. You can outlive Him, but you can't live without Him. You can't. You can't live without Him. The Pharisees couldn't stand Him, but boy, they couldn't stop Him. Pilate couldn't find fault with Him. Herod couldn't kill Him. Death couldn't handle Him. And the grave couldn't hold him. <laughs> the grave could not hold him. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. The God who gives second chances. And so, thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Forever and ever, amen and amen and amen and amen and amen and amen. And when you've finished saying amen, keep saying it. Amen and amen and amen and amen. Because that means it is true. 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 
There's no one but Jesus. He's the only one who can lift you up and cause you to stand at God's right hand as His beloved child, where once you were a sinner, now you are a saint. Isn't that a God worth submitting to? Isn't that a God worth yielding yourself to? Isn't that a God worth rededicating your life to? You know, I'm, I'm done with this. I'm, look here, I'm closing my notes. I'm done. I don't have a fancy illustration. I don't have a clever story or a sob story. We're going to have no uh, uh, sentimental music. If the appeal of God's truth doesn't strike your heart and your mind. This is just another sermon. But you can go from here with a changed outlook about Jesus. You can go from here with a changed idea in your mind about failure. Failure is a stepping stone that God can use in your life to draw you closer to Him. And so the invitation I want to give, thank you, the invitation I want to give this morning is quite simply this. Let's make this the family altar today. Let's just make this the family altar. And you might just want to come and do some God business. You know, I'll qualify for the better, for the better microphone. Is this yours? Do you use this one? We've got to get you a better one, brother. Okay. Actually, if it's been near your ear, I can now say I nibbled your ear. Okay, not really, eh? Okay, I'm, this is going to go south now, Clay. Let's make this a family altar time. Why don't you respond to this message this morning just by simply coming to the front? I, you don't have to come to the front. Hang, you can go to the back if all I care. You can kneel in the aisle wherever you are. But kneeling is just such a great posture of response. If you'd like to just respond to this message and say, You know, Lord, I don't think as much about Jesus as I should. I I don't exalt him and glorify him as much as I should. Lord, I'm struggling in the area of failure. It might be in an area in your life. So you didn't make the baseball team or you didn't make the football team. For goodness sake, get over it. Get over it, man. There's going to be plenty of things you don't make. But I tell you, there's one thing that you do need to make. Is you need to make Jesus proud of you. You need to make him excited to say, that's my child. That's my child. Thanks, Steve, for bringing this week's message. And thanks to all of you for joining us on Crosswalk. Be with us next week when our series from the book of Mark, Jesus, the Real Action Hero, continues. We're glad you joined us for this week's Crosswalk. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh. But instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sunday mornings at 1030 at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone who is looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom hope and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross.
Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.